Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to Out of the Blue on 3CR 855 AM. Uh, my name is Fum, and I'm supposed to be here in the studio with Matt today, but he is stuck in traffic, so hopefully he will make it somewhere during the uh, the show. Um, on today, on Sunday the 13th of October 2009, we want to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land that 3CR is broadcasting from, and we pay our respects to the elders past, present, and emerging, and we acknowledge that this land was never ceded. We are talking about the first Plastic Health Summit today, uh, held in the Netherlands on the 3rd of October, um, and then we'll be going to a song and rock out to some good Australian music, and after the break, if Matt makes it back on time, uh, we will be talking about cuttlefish and octopuses, so stick around on 3CR 855 AM, this is Out of the Blue. I'm Philippe Cousteau from Earth Echo International, and you're listening to Out of the Blue, 855 AM, 3CR's Marine and Ocean News Program. Hi, everyone, and welcome on this beautiful Sunday morning to Out of the Blue. And thanks, Philippe Cousteau. I just love that you're in the studio every single week just promoting Out of the Blue. <laughs> um, so this is Thumb on your radio today. Um, don't forget, we are on 3cr.org.au slash Radio Blue in case you are missing out this week and you want to download a podcast. So check it out or listen back live. And we are also on Facebook, and you can find us on facebook.com forward slash out of the blue radio and that's where we'll be posting all of the links about the subjects that we're talking about today. So I would really like to start with a subject that's quite close to my heart and I'm so excited. I have been totally nerding out um, this weekend uh, because as many of you know I specialize in researching plastic pollution in the waterways and I do that here in Melbourne uh, in particular with the Port Phillip Eco Centre. And something that I've always wanted to see research being done about is what the effects are of plastic pollution, specifically microplastics, nanoplastics, and their uh, associated toxins on human health. Because at the moment, 
as you all know, we are in quite a uh, environmental catastrophe, and I'm not even talking about climate change just yet, but uh, our oceans are filling up with plastic pollution. Um, and that has a lot of really bad repercussions, not just for the environment, but um, for people as well. Also, people are part of the environment, obviously. Now, for the last 10 years or so, we have seen research coming out that's quite worrying because the problem with plastic is that it tends to absorb um, pollution that is already floating around in the ocean, but it also has plastic toxins in it by itself that are added when um, when plastics are being made. For example, um, stuff that makes plastic bags soft. You know, you can have a hard piece of plastic, but then you add a bunch of chemicals to it and it becomes really soft and squishy and you can use it for other kinds of packaging. So those are the types of chemicals that um, that are inherent in, in, in plastic. Now, we've already have we already have a quite convincing body of research in large marine mammals from all over the world uh, and the effect of these particular toxins in their bodies because they are the top of the food chain which means that whenever they eat their fish or their prey or whatever it is they're eating um, that has already accumulated plastic toxins from the ocean and from plastic pollution that that those toxins actually um, collect or they uh, accumulate in their bodies. And so an example of this is um, pods of orcas that live, that are resident orcas, they live off the coast of the UK, uh, and they've been studied for the last 25 to 30 years quite intensively by researchers. Um, it's quite easy to do because they're, they're resident pods there. Um, and what we're seeing there is that the levels of uh, PCBs, so that's the kind of stuff that makes plastic soft, uh, the levels of PCBs in their blood is many, many, many times uh, what the recommended maximum level of those PCBs in the blood of those animals should be. Uh, and we are now seeing that it is affecting their fertility because those toxins, they are... Um, they mimic uh, hormones that we have in our bodies, that mammals have in their bodies. So, so their molecular structure is so close to that of hormones that they actually mess with the hormonal, um, the, the hormonal part of our, of our bodies, of, of the cetaceous body. So we're seeing now that these orcas have stopped reproducing because certain high levels of these uh, hormone-mimicking toxins actually cause infertility in the population, which is, which is quite a disastrous thing, of course. Now, it is one thing to try and um, generate change or advocate for change when you have all this evidence in marine animals, you know, of that it's, that it's really affecting their health. But we, up till now, we don't really have any conclusive evidence of what microplastics are actually doing in the human body. And it is my opinion that once we get some evidence on adverse health effects of microplastics in human bodies and the toxins that they bring as well, if it turns out that humans run the same risks as the cetaceans do, as the orcas do, and and that is, you know, we can we can provide some really um, some evidence that you can't really get around, then governments will be much more stimulated and prodded to throw some actual money against ocean protection 
uh, from plastic pollution. And we're really going to see some serious, serious change coming through. That's that's my prediction. So for the last few years, I've been kind of hanging out, you know, hanging out for looking at the science landscape and, and trying to find out who is going to do this research because we are we are up on it now. We need to we need to start doing that and moving in that direction to really create that change. And oh, the plastic gods, they have uh, heard my prayers, or the science gods, I should say. The plastic gods would probably not be so happy, but the science god have, have heard my prayers. And so last week uh, in the Netherlands, we uh, held the first ever Global Plastic Health Summit. Um, and there's a little bit of background to that. Um, so the Plastic Health Summit was organized... Um, by the Plastic Soup Foundation, who have had a big stake in all kinds of plastic pollution research and advocacy in Europe for a long time now. They are doing amazing work, including on microplastics. Um, and um, the Department of Health, the Federal Department of Health in the Netherlands, uh, usually contracts an organization that does the research, the health research, scientific health research in the population for them. And that organization is called Zon MW. And uh, they have um, gotten some funding. I think it's upwards of a million euros. So that's that's good. It's a good, good bit of funding. Um, and they're funding five projects, or they're funding 15 projects that are divided over five research areas to really look at the effects of microplastics and nanoplastics on people. Now, we already know from the last year or so and scientific articles that have come out that we are breathing in microplastics, right? So they have done studies in the Rocky Mountains. They've done studies in Andorra, which is a little kingdom that, uh, or a little, a little country that is in the Pyrenees, which is the mountain range between Spain and France. Um, and even in Antarctica, they have caught microplastics just floating in the air. So we know that we are breathing them in. We also know that we are ingesting them with our food and with the tap water and the bottled water that we drink. So we know all these things already. They've done some research into um, human feces. Mm -mm -mm. Imagine walking into that laboratory, right? <laughs> Is this where the human feces uh, microplastics research is? Oh, yeah, yeah, I can smell it. Okay, I'm in the right place. <laughs> That's what I imagine. Um, so, so all of that research has already been done. And... Um, we, we already know that we are ingesting these things, but we don't know anything about the health effects of it. So in March, uh, many of these projects started, and um, the breadth of the projects is really quite exciting. So they cover a whole bunch of areas of health in the human body. Um, so, for example, they're looking at the uptake through the digestive system, right? Because microplastics and nanoplastics, when we ingest them, they go uh, through our stomach and they get into our gut. But we don't really actually know yet if nanoplastics and microplastics are actually being absorbed by the gut wall and land into our body. And if they do, if they are absorbed by the gut wall, where do they end up? Do they go into our bloodstream? Are they, you know, where they can be transported to other organs, for example? So there are all of these questions that the researchers have about this. Um, so that is one of the uh, the research areas where they're really looking at if those plastics can get through the gut wall and, and their effects on the human body. And that is really interesting because 
uh, as you may know, microplastics are plastic particles that are smaller than five millimeters in diameter, but they're bigger than a hundred micrometers. And anything that is smaller than that is classified as a nanoplastic. And nanoplastics go down all the way to the size of a virus which is extremely tiny because viruses, as well as nanoplastics we have discovered, can actually move through cell walls and get into the nucleus of our cells. And um, some of them actually mess with our DNA. So, so this is stuff that we know about nanoplastics um, already from, from uh, experiments that have been done in the lab uh, on different types of cells that have been grown in petri dishes and things like that. Um, so it will be very interesting to see what the effect would be uh, on human health and if they can actually get into the bloodstream and, um, yeah, wreak havoc in that sense on the human body. Now, as I mentioned before, uh, we, all, we also know that we are breathing in microplastics, especially in our houses, because most of our carpets and uh, furniture, if you have cloth furniture, just like our clothes, a lot of that is made of plastic, pretty much everything now. It's really rare to find something that is fully natural fiber, like wool or cotton or linen. Uh, most of the clothes that we wear and the uh, cloth uh, furniture and, and carpets are some kind of uh, plastic polymer. Um, and so we, we inhale little bits and pieces of that when we're in the house. Um, so another one of the research areas is looking at what what the uptake is through the lungs and into the bodies because when you when you inhale all those particles come in now most of the stuff that we breathe in will actually be uh, filtered out by our mucous membranes that are covering the back of our throat and the inside of our nose and a lot of particles like dust and things like that will be caught by our nose hair as well um, so there is a kind of a filtering system there to make sure that we don't get too much crap in our lungs but when plastics are that small, when they are nano-sized and they're kind of just like floating on the air, uh, there is a good chance that a lot of them make it down to our lungs. And one of the kind of exciting projects that are being run under this banner of looking at microplastics inhalation and, and seeing if it actually will cross the, the, the barrier that we have uh, from our lung into our bloodstream, because remember, you know, the, our blood vessels, um, they, they connect straight with the lungs with the alveoli, the, the tiny, tiny little hair-like um, ducts um, that take up the oxygen that we breathe in and then bind it to our red blood cells with hemoglobin and distribute it all over our body. So you can imagine if a nanoplastic is so small that it can make it all the way down into our bloodstream, it can actually go to every single organ in our body, including our brain. Now, under this research area, um, one of the projects is actually looking at making, constructing an artificial human lung. Because a lot of these uh, experiments are done in the lab in Petri dishes with uh, human cells that have been grown in vitro. But unfortunately, as is the reality uh, for most of this kind of research, if we want to know what happens with human health, we usually need to use test animals like rats or mice uh, to see how it works in a living system. Um, and so a bunch of researchers are now getting together to try and make an artificial lung that mimics the human lung system, the in, in human um, inhalation, as closely as possible so that we don't have to use mice. 
or rats for this kind of research. So that's uh, for the animal lovers among us, uh, myself included, that is really great news and I'm very excited to see what comes out of that. Now, two, uh, three other systems that they are checking um, is the immune system. What, do, what kind of immunoreaction does our body actually make when those plastic particles come in? And I'll, I'll, I'll chat a little bit more about some of the preliminary results that we've seen already after four, four months of research. So I'll come back to that. And also one of the most um, kind of a little bit scary parts is do these plastic particles actually cross the blood-brain barrier? Right, So if they get into our bloodstream, they can make it up to our brain. But there is a membrane that separates out um, the brain from the rest of the world. And, and the same happens with the placenta. So when a woman is pregnant, the placenta acts as a barrier to keep out as many toxins as possible so they don't mess with the development of the fetus. But unfortunately, we already know that um, some of these microplastics and nanoplastics can actually make it through those blood barriers. Um, so, for example, Juliet, Dr. Juliet Legler, who is working on this project, um, has already done these kinds of experiments with mice where they were injected with uh, tiny, tiny polystyrene beads, and only four hours later... They could already trace because, you know, they, they usually put a marker on it that makes it light up um, under the microscope. And four hours later, after injection, they could already tell that those polystyrene beads had crossed the placental barrier and went into the fetal brain of the baby mice fetus. Now, people are not mice, right? We are mammals, but there is a difference between us. But we just don't know yet what is going to happen with other types of nanoplastics. So, um, so that is really, really interesting and very, very uh, necessary research as well. And the last one <laughs> is to have a look at if microplastics are a source of pathogens. Because, you know, they could just like hitch a ride on a nanoplastic and get into a cell. Who knows? That might, that might happen. Um, so quickly before we go to the break... Um, Nienke Frisekoop, uh, who is a researcher with, I think it is the uh, University of Utrecht, um, she is currently looking at the microplastics effect on the immune system. And what she has found only in uh, four months is really quite interesting. So in vitro, so in, in a, uh, uh, um, oh, sorry, in a mouse, um, they inserted 10 micrometers size nanoplastic, just to see if the immune system would actually recognize and attack these, these microplastics. So they, I would call them nanoplastic, but she calls them microplastics. So they injected 10 micrometers and one micrometer because, you know, a size may, might make a difference. Um, but usually when stuff gets into your blood or into your body like that, it is usually already kind of... Um, polluted. So it kind of binds stuff to it. So just to check for that, they covered some blood component. They covered some of the 10 micrometer microplastics in blood components and see what would happen. And what was very interesting was that they could observe that the 10 micrometer microplastics that were inserted that were not covered with any pollution or blood components to it were not recognized at all by our immune system. So nothing happened. The immune cells were just like, eh, meh, whatevs. 
um, and just basically in- ignored those plastics. But when they inserted the ones with the blood components, all of a sudden there was a, a big immunocell response. So the immune system cells recognized those microplastics uh, as an intruder, labeled them as an intruder, and there was a big response, a big inflammation, um, if you will. But the troubled part about that was that they tried to break those microplastics down because that is what they do, those immune cells, and it actually started killing the cells. So just engaging with that plastic was killing the immune cells. Um, so that is um, very a very big result already for only four months of research. Um, so we are very much looking forward to um, seeing what else comes up in the in the in the coming few months. Um, they have just announced that there's going to be another one million euros invested in these projects. So in the next year or two or three, we will definitely see more of this stuff come out, and um, hopefully uh, be able to really act on on marine plastic pollution. Anyway, that said, on that happy note, (laughs) we are just going to go to a song. Uh, Please enjoy Baker Boy with Mariuna. I'm a proud black younger boy with the killer flow. Listen to the year that's here, listen to it blow. For the boys, younger boys, all the way from Minam Land, now I'm going to get laugh with that. This is a young ball and double go. Come on, Iran and Yamachiko. Napuka, Naputo, Ripuko, Walla, Mamu, Jim, and the Manapamir, Ripu, Ripu, Mitiko. Bubu in a machine and you go. Trick is my own survival mode, giving brain, reddish weapon in the globe. Self-sustained education, knowledge is all standing on everyone's toes. Teaching yourself to get older and older. Red alert. Numbers are needed at the Japurang Heritage Protection Embassy camps immediately. 
Sacred birthing trees on Japurong country need protecting. Over 50 generations have been born on these sites and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old. These trees are being protected from the Victorian Labor Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. The campaign to protect country is led by Japurang traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japurang country near Ararat or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. Visit dwembassy.com for more information and updates. No trees, no treaty. Welcome back to Out of the Blue. You are listening to 3CR 855 AM. Welcome on this Sunday. And, oh my God, I thought he was not going to make it. But Matt is here, everybody. A couple of minutes of cuttlefish time. Oh my God, yeah, you just made it. So it's Melbourne Marathon Day today, and apparently traffic is horrendous. Yep. So let's get right into it. What have you got for us, All Matt? Right. So I've got two things. First one, cuttlefish and octopus brains. So one real cool thing about them is they actually extend into the tentacles and the arms of the animal. And that kind of is akin to, say, you want to send a text message. You can just tell your arm to do it. So the octopus arms, they just kind of go out and they sense different things. And they're not necessarily talking to the brain the whole time. But then the brain might be like, oh, actually, I need you to do something. And the arm goes, oh, okay. But, yeah, so there's actually these neurons in the arm that, like, it's like the brain spreads through the whole body. Wow. I'm just I'm just trying to imagine what it would be like to have a brain in every one of my fingers right now, and yeah, it's too much. It's too much. What what, ha- what happens? Because sometimes they lose an arm, right? Like, what yeah. would that be like? Well, they, they essentially lose a little bit of their brain, really. Like, I don't think it's anything that controls like their f- like feeding or any emotions or anything. But I think it would it would feel like yeah. Yeah. Do they grow? Do they grow their arms back? I don't think they do. No, I think once it's gone. Once it's, it's gone, gone, yeah. gone, it's not too common though. I don't see too many out there with arms missing. Wow, that's know. incredible. And so, um, is is that the same the same thing for cuttlefish as well? I'm not sure, but I would presume they're pretty close animals. So they're both cephalopods. It's a pretty small genus, so I imagine they would have um, neurons in their tentacles and stuff as well. Wow, it's amazing. <laughs> Um, <laughs> That's so crazy. Yeah, yeah, I really like it because sometimes when you you meet an octopus underwater, and there's lots of videos on on YouTube about this as well, where um, you, you meet the octopus, and the octopus just kind of like feels with the tentacles, like feels the divers' um, goggles and things like that. And now knowing that they actually have a brain in there in those tentacles, it kind of makes you think like, what would they be experiencing? Yeah, because it's be not super just sensory. feeling. Then it it, it would be. Possibly, because they're actually quite smart and they can reason yeah. to quite a large extent as well. So kind of makes you think, like, what are they doing really when they're trying to touch you with their tentacle? Yeah, <laughs> and, and on that point of they're really smart, like, there's so many stories of, like, um, there's a research lab where these cuttlefish were there. And every time someone who'd never entered the lab before would come in, they'd get squirted with water. But what? all the other researchers every day walk past, wave at the cuttlefish, but the new person, and then at night, um, another lab, the octopus, wanted to hunt. So at night, when all the researchers had left, it would shoot water at the light switch 
turn the lights off and then climb into the other tanks. Wow. And be back in its own tank for the morning. Yeah, I have heard about that before where researchers would come in in the morning and they'd see like there's all this water on the floor and all the fish were missing from the other tank and they're like, what the hell happened here? And it took them ages to work out. They had to put a camera in or something like yeah, a webcam a or something to work out. Yeah. It was the octopus sneaking out and sneaking back into his own tank. Ah, oh, yeah, I love them. They're, um, they're just such amazing, amazing creatures. And... You know what? I mean, that whole theory of octopuses not being of this earth, eh, this is just... Kind of suits. It's just kind of... of this kind of fact is another reason why Although, <laughs> I can see conspiracy theorists would think that. Yeah, and one last point, like, with that octopus that was climbing to the other tanks, it actually had a fish, like, with it, like a dead fish it was eating. And when the researchers walked in, it hit it behind its back. Oh, my so God. So it knew that it was in trouble. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, thanks so much, Matt, for uh, for um, giving us some of those wonderful octopus uh, facts. Um, yeah, brains in your fingers. Get around it, people. Think about it. <laughs> uh, just before we go to Out of the Pan, I just want to shout out to the Marine Education Science Community Center, or MESAC, because they're having they're, they're going to do a marine photography course on the 16th of November at Bomoros Yacht Club. The day will run from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. It's only 20 bucks, and you learn all of the wonderful techniques. Um, there'll be three groups. Uh, one's going snorkeling. There's a reef walk and foreshore landscapes as well. There will be professional photographers and the best photos of the day will be shown at the Port Ferry Marine Art Show and the Sea Days Festival in Port Welshpool on the first week of January. So get around it. If you always want to take those wonderful photos like Matt does, for example, um, yeah, get, get around it and see if you can grab a spot. So go to mesac, M-E-S-A-C dot org dot A-U. And that is all we have time for today, peeps. So um, you have been listening to Out of the Blue on 855 AM 3CR uh, on your digital radio as well. And um, we are on 3cr.org.au slash Radio Blue if you want to listen to some podcasts. Next up, it's Sally with Out of the Pan. And have a good week, everyone. Uganda is 